Welcome to Inclusion Matters, produced by the Center for Inclusive Child Care, aka the CICC. We're located at inclusivechildcare.org. Welcome to Inclusion Matters, a podcast of the Center for Inclusive Child Care. I'm Cindy Croft, Director of the Center, and I'm here with Priscilla Weigel. Hello, great to be back. Hello. And once again, we are podcasting with um, two of our colleagues from the Learning Disabilities Association of Minnesota, uh, Martha Moriarty, the Executive Director. Welcome, Martha. Hi, thanks for having me. And her associate, Mary Beth Kelly, the Program Developer. Welcome, Mary Beth. Thank you. So today, we wanted to really talk now about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, which gets talked about a lot when we're discussing learning disabilities, and so I'm just going to let you guys take it away uh, with what you have to say about it so that the people listening can get a better understanding of those two things and the differences and the similarities. All right, great. So ADHD is probably one of the most common neurodevelopmental disorders. Uh, according to the new DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, that's how um, individuals actually become assessed. They have to use that type of um, that manual. It's a, it's a medical diagnosis that happens either at a medical clinic or a facility like we have here where we have psychologists that are on staff along with educational specialists. Um, there's a number of symptoms though, that have to happen. There are three basic categories within ADHD. There's ADHD inattentive. Um, I think that's the one that's probably the least common. So inattentive are usually the kids that tend to look a little bit more spacey. They might not look like they're paying attention, not listening. Um, they just are really missing details. They're inattentive, they're daydreaming, they're looking out the window. Um, the other category is the hyperactive and impulsive type, and I think that's the one most people think of when they think of ADHD. Those individuals are ones that just are always on the go. They're, they kind of have, they're driven by a motor, they have a really hard time slowing down. Um, they're just very active, impulsive, jumping, all those kinds of behaviors. And then the third category is an actual combined type. So an individual who has characteristics in both inattentive and hyperactive and impulsive. So in order to actually get a diagnosis though of ADHD, you have to have um, at least six or more of the different symptoms in each of the categories. For the combined type, you need at least 12 of these symptoms. The challenge is that these symptoms have to be seen in, a mul in multiple environments. So it can't just be seen in school or it can't just be seen at home. And so that's a major key. So in order to do a, a true diagnosis of ADHD, you need to actually get information uh, from individuals that have seen the child in multiple settings. Mm -hmm. So it has to be, again, like across settings, um, you, you're getting information from more than just one person. And you had asked earlier, like, the, the types of assessments that are done. Um, I would say most agencies like to do some type of academic testing just because learning disabilities and ADHD symptoms can look very similar. So I think best practice generally is that you want to do both academic and like intellectual testings to rule out whether or not it's a learning disability and or ADHD. Unfortunately, there's no like academic test for ADHD. It's a lot of rating forms. Mm -hmm. So again, best practice would suggest that you're using multiple types of rating forms. So it's lots of questions asking 
um, what kind of behaviors you're seeing, as well as how severe those behaviors are. Again, that's another component. ADHD, in order to get that diagnosis, it has to be disruptive to the individual's life. So the symptoms that you're seeing are pretty severe. They're not just kind of typical behaviors. I mean, mm -hmm. children also, typical child behaviors, they do want to run around and they sure. do want to, they do sometimes have more energy. So that's another piece of it, is that you also have to look at developmentally what's appropriate for this age and is this child exhibiting something that's out of the norm of what would be typical for that child mm -hmm. and typical for those kinds of expectations. So Mary Beth, we hear a lot that people say it's there's so many children today with that diagnosis. And if it's so if it's so difficult to meet the criteria, what is what is why does the perception seem to be that there are so many children with ADHD? Is that a misperception or is the diagnosis coming from places maybe that aren't as, um, don't have that um, diligence in the rating, all using all the ratings? Yeah, I've read some research and um, I think it's a mis, it's a misperception. It's a, um, I don't know that the numbers are as accurate. Uh, there are, the reality is a family physician, uh, any doctor, medical doctor can diagnose the ADHD and again different doctors I think choose to use different types and different ways of kind of diagnosing. The concern that that I would have in that is that commonly the doctors are only talking to the family and so they're not getting any outside information and I think that's an important aspect. Mm -hmm. Occasionally some doctors will ask the family to have teachers fill out a rating form. Again, the DSM-5 and the best practice suggest that you're using multiple rating forms and not just one. So it's not supposed to ever be just one type of form or one type of test that's determining whether or not someone has ADHD. And again, with young children, the challenge is that we, you know, young children are still developing, and so um, what is realistic and what's a common expectation for a three to five year old? Three to five year olds sometimes are very squirrely, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. it's it, that's part of their typical behavior. So I also think it's um, important to help teachers really zone in on what's appropriate for this age and what's a realistic expectation. Uh, I think. It's, you know, we ask children to sit, I often think about like even circle time, having mm -hmm. to sit in a circle. And that's hard, I think, for lots of kids. Right, so sometimes right. really even realizing that you have to teach what does it mean to actually sit in a circle mm -hmm. and how to keep your space and not invade other space. So there's right. lots of different things like that where um, a child might just have a lot more energy than someone else, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they have ADHD. Yeah. 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 That's great. Good reminders. It behooves us all to be really on top of developmentally appropriate practice, which is a lot of what we do in early childhood is just being aware of those developmental milestones. The other thing I will mention is that I, I know occasionally families get frustrated because um, their child might be struggling in a school, but a school may or may not say anything to the family. And I, I just always like families to know that um, ADHD is a medical diagnosis, so teachers tend to and as well as teachers are actually advised to not say anything about ADHD. Sure. Um, okay. There's a caution, I think, from the schools in terms of bringing it up because the school is an educational entity. They are not a hospital. They're not a clinic. They're not mental health. So I do know that teachers are advised to um, not say to a family whether or not their child has ADHD. I think the disconnect, unfortunately, is I do think teachers might be able to be helpful in letting parents at least know the behaviors that they're seeing mm -hmm. so that at least the parents can see some of those concerns and then possibly pursue 
um, you know, testing outside at some other facility if they needed that. Mm -hmm. But I think it's helpful to see if there are some concerns to specifically kind of describe those behaviors and see are they happening in other settings, are they happening at home, mm -hmm. um, or is it just in the school setting? Because mm -hmm. ADHD really does affect a person's life outcome. I mean, we know that individuals with ADHD have higher rates of unemployment, mm -hmm. higher rates of chemical abuse, you know, all of these things that um, adults struggle with. And if you, if you struggle with attention, impulsivity, you know, you have a higher likelihood of doing these activities. And so, um, you know, academic performance is a key to this. And it, can they, you know, be attentive in the classroom? Um, are they following the directions? Do they have focus? Can they keep organized? You know, executive functioning is a key here with ADHD too, which is kind of manage, time management and focus and organization. And uh, individuals with ADHD really struggle with those things. Mm -hmm. So um, we always talk to parents and, and adults who, you know, we work with that ADHD, um, you know, it really affects all areas of your life and how you need to find strategies to manage them. Mm -hmm. Medication is always, you know, one thing you can do to help yourself and there's lots of very effective medications, um, but really finding strategies is the other area that families need to focus in on. And that is a perfect segue to our next part because we're going to talk about strategies and different tools that parents and families and providers can use to help all children that may have some of those behaviors, those red flags that you've referred to, but wonderful information. Yes, oh, my goodness. so much. It's just really so useful, I think, to our listeners. So thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. That's all for now. See you next